I hope you're enjoying our Just Walk Across the Room campaign. Let's quickly, quickly review what we've learned so far. In week one, we've learned that the single greatest gift that we can give to, as Christ followers to those people around us is an introduction to the God who created them, who loves them, and who has a purpose for their lives. And then... You were all introduced to the circle of comfort. You remember that? The circle of comfort. As well as the zone of the unknown. And then we were all encouraged to leave our circle of comfort, walk across the room, and enter the zone of the unknown. Then in week two, Major Debbie shared about living a 3D life. Anyone remember the first D? What's the first D? Almost there, developing friendships, developing friendships, followed by discovering stories and then discerning appropriate next steps. And it's, it's these three Ds that we can think about, pray about, and act upon when we're operating in the zone of the unknown. And then last week, Major Lum inspired us through the power of story. And we learn how critical it is for us to steward well the God story as well as our own before and after faith stories. And then today, our topic is grander vision living. Grander vision living. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. And we're going to begin in verse 1. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1, says this. It says, One day, Jesus was standing beside Lake Gennesaret when the crowd pressed in around him to hear God's word. Jesus saw two boats sitting by the lake. Apparently, the fishermen had gone ashore and they were washing their nets. And so Jesus boarded one of the boats, the one that belonged to Simon. And listen to what Jesus says to Simon. He says, Simon, can you row out a little distance from the shore? And then Jesus sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When Jesus finished speaking to the crowds, he said to Simon, row out further into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. Simon replied, Master, we've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But because you say so, I'll drop the nets. So they dropped the nets and their catch was so huge that their nets were were actually splitting. And so they signaled for their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats so full that they were about to sink. When Simon Peter saw the catch, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Leave me, Lord, for I am a sinner. You see, Peter and those with him were overcome with amazement because of the number of fish they caught. James and John, Zebedee's sons, were Simon's partners, and they were amazed too. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. 
from now on, you will be fishing for people. And as soon as they brought the boats to the shore, the Bible says they left everything and followed Jesus. Every so often, I like to substitute myself into the biblical text. Have you guys ever done that? Substitute yourself into the biblical text? Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty fun. And it's a great way to get a deeper understanding of the context of the Bible. And so here we go. I want us to substitute ourselves into this text this morning. And so kind of like the Chronicles of Narnia, walk into that wardrobe and enter this biblical story. Imagine that instead of Simon Peter, it's you. And here we go. Imagine seeing the, the lake, hearing the sound of that lake. Imagine hearing and seeing the crowds of people. And there's the boats, the two boats out there. And imagine that Jesus is walking towards you. And Jesus is walking towards me. And Jesus says, Hey, big T! You see, in my imagination, me and Jesus are tight, man. We, we go a long way back. And so I call him JC, and he calls me big T. That's just how we roll. And so Jesus says, Hey, big T! Can you roll your boat out just a little offshore? And I'm thinking, wow, man, Jesus is in my boat. And I'm kind of feeling a little embarrassed because my boat is kind of messy. You guys all have ever had people unexpectedly show up at your house and your house is a mess and you're feeling kind of embarrassed. That's how I'm feeling right now. My boat is a mess. And all I can think about is, man, I should have vacuumed the interior. I should have sprayed some air freshener. I should have washed and waxed the exterior. But it's too late now. Jesus is in my boat. And so Jesus says, hey, Big T, you can stop there. This is a perfect spot. And then Jesus begins to teach the crowds from my boat. Isn't that cool? Now here comes the roll your eyes moment. You guys heard of the term roll your eyes? Listen to what the dictionary, the, the meaning of roll your eyes in the dictionary. It says this. It says, to move your eyes around in a circle because someone has said or done something ridiculous. Some of you look like good roll your eyes kind of people. In fact, if the person sitting next to you is good at rolling their eyes, would you raise your hands? Whoa, you just out your fiancé like that, bro? <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, so, so watch this. Jesus is done teaching the crowds from the boat. And here comes the roll your eyes moment. Jesus turns to me and he says, Big T, Row out a little further into the deep water and drop your nets for a catch. And then everybody, roll your eyes with me. <laughs> JC, are you tripping? I say, no, I don't say that. I say, Mas master, master. 
We've worked hard all night, and we've caught nothing. But if you say so, we'll roll deep into the deep water, and we'll drop our nets. And so I'm obedient, and I do it. I drop my nets, and a miracle happens. It's a monstrous catch. This is the mother load. The nets are bursting. The boat is sinking. Fishes are here and there. There's fish everywhere. Can you imagine being a part of this story? Can you imagine this amazing day of fishing? However, if I'm honest with myself, there's one thing that I would do differently. And that's in verse 11. Take a look at what the Bible says in verse 11. It says this. It says, As soon as they brought the boats to the shore, they left everything and followed Jesus. Huh? No way. I mean, I would not have left all that fish. I'm a pake, man. I would take all that fish to Tamashiro Market and I would sell it. What are they doing? Uh-uh. Not me. I would not have left all that fish. In fact, I would probably have basked in the glow of the moment. And I would imagine, imagine myself building a fishing empire. And I can just imagine the news there, KHON News. In fact, I would make sure that Joe Moore himself was on, on assignment reporting this late-breaking news. And I could just imagine myself hiring hundreds of fishermen. I could imagine myself holding conventions, and I would be the keynote speaker, and I would teach everyone how to be successful just like me. And of course, I, could, I would imagine myself Winning the Fisherman of the Year Award. Um, this is my twins, Matthew and Abby. Hello. This is my sister's twins. They gave this to me for my birthday. Isn't that cool? This is their I-9 sports, uh, sports medal. And they gave it to me on my birthday. This is the coolest gift I've ever got. And I would imagine myself winning Fisherman of the Year trophy. Woohoo! Man, I have finally arrived. But before I get too carried away with myself, listen carefully to what Jesus says to these career fishermen that changes the trajectory of their lives forever. In verse 11, uh, verse 10, Jesus says this. Jesus says to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be fishing for people. This miracle of a fishing trip sets up one of the most critical aspects of Jesus' teaching, the idea of small fish and big fish. The idea of catching small fish, this, um, these little underwater scaly creatures, or catching big fish, becoming Fishers of people becoming fishers of men and women. And Jesus desperately wanted these career fishermen, as well as you and I, the good people of the Salvation Army Croc Church, to understand that this life is all about people. The priority is people. 
prioritizing people. That's what so much of our Just Walk Across the Room campaign has been all about. Constantly looking out for people. Taking walks across the room for people. Caring less about ourselves and caring more about, say it with me, people. Developing friendships with? Discovering the stories of? Loving and accepting people. The priority is people. Why? Because the only thing that is eternal is people. Everything else is temporary. The fishing empire, the fleet of boats, the fishermen of the year award, the homes, the cars, the money, they're all temporary. There's only one thing that is eternal, and that's people. There's only one thing that you can take with you into eternity, and that's people, the people that you've led to Christ. In a moment, I want to show you a four-minute video clip. It's from John Orkberg. John Orkberg is a pastor of Menlo Park Presbyterian Church. I want you to listen carefully to what he has to say about the temporary and the eternal. I think you'll really enjoy this video clip. Take a look at this. You know, life has a lot of different ways to teach us about what matters the most. And I want to tell you about one of my favorite ways. I am standing on the world's largest monopoly board. It's located in downtown San Jose, just a few miles away from where I live. And it's not just a decoration. This actually is a playable Monopoly board. I haven't played much Monopoly in recent years, but I used to play a lot when I was growing up. And if we'll let it, Monopoly has something profound to teach us about life's most important lesson. I learned it from my grandmother because my grandmother taught me how to play the game. Let me tell you about my grandmother. My grandmother lived with us when I was growing up as a kid. And she was a wonderful person. She used to tell great ghost stories. She was a great cook. She would make banana bread and this dessert called red velvet cake. It's mostly butter. She would pop popcorn on Friday nights in bacon grease and then put the bacon bits in the popcorn. It was fabulous. Nobody in my grandmother's family lived to be too old. But we love my grandmother. She was a wonderful person, but she was the most ruthless Monopoly player I have ever known. Imagine what would have happened if um, Vince Lombardi had married Lady Macbeth, maybe, and they had a kid. And you get some sense of the way that my grandmother played Monopoly. When the game would start, I would get my $1,500, and I'd want to hold on to it. But my grandmother understood that acquisition is necessary to win, that money is how you keep score. And so eventually, inevitably, my grandmother would become master of the board, buy every piece of property she landed on, mortgage that, and acquire everything else. And I would always land on her property once too often, and I would have to give her my last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then she would say to me, don't worry about it, Johnny, one day you'll learn how to play the game. And I always hated it when she would say that. And then one summer, I was about 10 years old, and I played with a neighborhood kid 
And I learned that summer how to play the game. It gradually dawned on me. Money's how you keep score. You gotta acquire everything you can. And by the time that fall rolled around, and I was gonna play my grandmother again, I was more ruthless than she was. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to, to beat my grandmother. I played her with sweaty palms. Relentlessly, inexorably, I drove her off the board. Slowly, with great cunning and skill, I exposed the soft underbelly of my grandmother's vulnerability. I can still remember it happened at Marvin Gardens. And I looked at my grandmother. She was an old lady by now. She was a widow by the time I knew her well. She had raised six children. She raised my mom. She loved my mom. She loved me. And I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I beat my grandmother and watched her give me her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then I had one more lesson to learn. Because the great lesson always comes at the end of the game. And I first heard this from James Dobson, who talked about a time when he learned to play Monopoly with his family. The great lesson at the end of the game is this. When the game is over, it all goes back in the box. All that money, all that property, all those houses, all those hotels, boardwalk and park place, Everything, when the game is over, goes back in the box. I didn't want everything to go back in the box. I wanted to leave everything out as a kind of perpetual memorial to my great skill. This is the great lesson of life. When the game is over, all the stuff goes back in the box. Do you hear what John Artberg said in the end? He said, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. I have a Monopoly board here, and he said, all the money, he said, all the property, he said, all the houses and all the hotels, boardwalk and park place. He said, when the game is over, it all goes back in the box. You see, everything in this box is temporary, and everything in our lives really is temporary. The only thing that is eternal is people. There's only one thing that you can bring with you into eternity, and that's people, the people that you've led to Jesus Christ. And I learned this lesson the hard way. In January of 2001, I was a student at Pacific Rim Bible College, and for a whole month, I sat next to this Chinese man. And for a whole month, I didn't even walk across the room. But I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit on this particular morning to walk across the room. And I can still remember the day, Thursday, February the 1st of 2001, and I walked across the room, and I introduced myself, and I learned that his name is David Ho, and I learned that he speaks 
Chinese and reads Chinese fluently. Learned that he was an amazing, wonderful, nice Christian man. And that was on February the 1st of 2001. Two days later, on February the 3rd, 2001, I received a phone call from my sister at 4.30 a.m. in the morning. And from the sound of her voice, I knew that this was bad news. And she instructs me to rush over to my parents. And I rush over to my parents' house to find that my dad is having great difficulty breathing. And so I call 911 and an ambulance rushes over and we we take my dad to the emergency room. And the emergency room doctor finally comes out and it's bad news. My dad has pneumonia, fluid in his lungs. He's just suffered a mild heart attack and he's and he's going through and dealing with this lung cancer. And currently, they had an oxygen mask over my dad's mouth to help him breathe. What they really wanted to do was they wanted to put a tube down my dad's throat, but my dad refused. You see, my dad had been fighting this lung cancer for over a year. He had major surgery and chemotherapy. And he was just spent. He was tired. He was bitter. He was angry. And I think he just lost his will to survive. And I'll never forget what the ER doctor said to me on that morning. He said, your dad doesn't have long. Maybe a few hours at the very most. The reality of death and heaven and hell never really confronted me like it did on that morning. You see, you can know in your head that there's a heaven and hell, and you can be convinced in your heart that there's a heaven and a hell. On that morning, the reality of heaven and hell went from my head to my heart, and I knew that if my dad were to die at that very moment, that he would not be in heaven. And my heart cried out within me, no, but my dad doesn't know Jesus yet. This can't be happening. You see, my dad grew up as a Buddhist. My parents immigrated from China and they didn't speak much English. My sister and I, We were born in America, and over time, we lost our our ability to speak Chinese fluently. It's just one of those sad realities of first-generation immigrant families, and many of my uh, relatives and uh, many of my friends go through this same challenge of having a difficult time speaking to their parents because of this language barrier. At that moment, what my dad needed most was to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ clearly presented to him in Chinese. At that moment, nothing else mattered except my dad's salvation. And I remember thinking, what if I went to heaven and I searched all of heaven 
and dad's not there. What a tragedy. And I could not bear the thought of my dad not being in heaven. I knew that the time was short. I knew that time was running out. I knew that the stakes were high. And I remember sitting, actually lying down in the ER bench, bawling my eyes out, crying and praying and pleading and begging God to not let my dad go just yet. Begging God to bring someone that would be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with my dad in Chinese. Praying that God would soften my dad's heart to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And I was beginning to lose hope. And then the name David Ho pops up in my mind. That Chinese man I met two days ago but how do I get in touch with him? I don't have his number, and it's 6 a.m. in the morning. And I began to panic, and I looked up, and there before me was a telephone booth. And I grabbed the telephone book, and I flipped to David Ho, and there's four listings for David Ho. And I choose the first, and it's him. And he and his wife rush over to the hospital and they share the good news of Jesus Christ with my dad in Chinese. And my dad received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. My dad died five hours later. That was one of the most frightening hours of my life not knowing whether I'll see my dad in heaven or not. You see, I learned the hard way that the priority is people. You see, I didn't spend much time with my dad. In 2001, I was a CPA. And I was all about climbing the ladder of success. I was all about money and wealth and property and possessions. I was all about keeping up with the Joneses. I failed to recognize that when life is over, it all goes back in the box. I failed to realize that all of this stuff is temporary. I failed to recognize that there's only one thing that's eternal, and that's people. I failed to recognize that there's only one thing that you can bring with you into heaven, and that's people, the people that you've led to Christ. This life is all about people. The priority is always people. No earthly commodity is going to make, make it from this world into the next. No land, no homes, no bank accounts, no titles, no achievements, only people. And so Jesus asked us all who say that we are just walk across the room people. Will you be fishers of people? 
Will you choose to become fishers of men and women? When Simon, Peter, and James, and John brought their boats to shore, they made a choice. They made a choice to be fishers of people. They made a choice to be fishers of men and women. Then the Bible says they left everything and they followed Jesus. I can almost hear God saying to us here this morning in this room, you can catch small fish. Spend all your time netting these scaly underwater creatures and taking them to market for a few dollars. It's a perfectly acceptable occupation. But there's another option. And the option is this. You can catch big fish. You can become fishers of people. You can become fishers of men and women. You can concern yourselves not with dollars, but with destinies. What's it going to be? What will you choose? In a moment, I want to pray for us. But before I do, I'm going to ask you to make a choice. Do you want to continue catching small fish? Or do you want to be about the Father's business of catching big fish uh, uh, and catching people and choosing to be fishers of people, choosing to be fishers of men and women?